Hey everyone, Lou Mavs here from the Music is Live podcast with a really important question. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get Music is Life off the ground, I had a lot of questions, such as how do I record an episode, how do I get my show into all the apps that people like to listen, and how do I make money from my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is real simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. This means that you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. Since I started my YouTube channel, I've been able to edit the audio on iMovie and then bump into Anchor and distribute it on the podcast to everybody. And I still use Anchor to record audio-only podcasts. So if you always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me, Lou Maz of the Music is Live podcast, and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Looking for some new podcasts to listen to? Well, Rat Sound Review Network has plenty of shows to choose from. Like Rat Sound Review, where they discuss the latest rock and metal news, as well as interviews and albums. Album versus Album, the King Diamond Podcast, with Wayne Noon, Greg Noggle, and sometimes this guy. Schmackamagob! Ralph Vieira is also on our network with the Vieira Vault. There's also Old Man Metal's Musings, where he discusses heavy metal and beer. Music is Life with Lou Mavs. The right opinion for those who love politics. A South Park podcast called Suck My Balls. The Infinite Fringe. A watch-along wrestling show called Beyond Bushido. Ex-Stradivarius guitarist, the Timo Tolki podcast. And the great Harry Barnett with I Don't Even Like Podcast and The Laugh Cast. So check out RatSoundReview.com or search RatSoundReview on YouTube, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. You're listening to the Music is Life podcast with your host, Lou Mabs, on the Rat Sound Review Network.
When the towers of freedom fell, the ideal rose to power. of Giants, book one, The Assumption. Purchase it today on Amazon.com. Welcome to the Music is Life podcast. This is your host, Lou Mavs. Thank you for watching on YouTube on the Music is Life podcast channel or listening wherever you can download your podcasts on every available streaming platform. Rat Style Review is now on Pandora. So now they can hear me on Pandora. Remember Pandora? Oh my God, Pandora. I still listen to Pandora, actually. Oh, all right. Well, then there you <laughs> I'm go. I'm one of the few. I'm one of the few that still do it. Well, subscribe to Rat Style Review Network on <laughs> Pandora. <laughs> I'm really happy to say that I have my first author on the show today. I know the show is called Music is Life, but all art is valid, whether it comes in the form of music, literature, art, cinema, comic books, pro wrestling. I've had pro wrestlers on my show before, so why wouldn't I have an author? Technically, I should have had the author before I had the pro wrestlers, but eh, neither here nor there. You have an author and a wrestler. (laughs) Haven't met one yet, but they're... (laughs) Maybe I will. Maybe I will. Hopefully they're literate. I'm kidding. Yay, I'm kidding. I am so honored to have on my show today someone that I've had the pleasure of knowing for the better part of 20 years, who for the last eight years has had her own young adult novel series available on Amazon, both in a soft cover and Kindle format. The name of the series is called The Hypothesis of Giants. There are four books in the series. I am honored to have this person on my show today. She is not only one of my dearest friends that I've had for half of my life, but she's also my sister-in-law <laughs> and introduced me to my wife. Can't thank her or love her enough. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so proud to have author Melissa Kutch on my show today. Melissa, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much, Louie, for having me. What a beautiful introduction. Oh, wow. This is so great. And it's such a wonderful podcast and what you're doing to help promote the arts and being able to share it with your community. Thanks. I appreciate that. Community, take notice. I'm here. Anyway, <laughs> so the hypothesis of giants. I remember when you started writing this book and you kept talking about it and talking about it. And all I kept saying was, well, I can't wait to read it. I remember when you had your book release party in May of 2013 in Manhattan. So many people there to purchase your books and support you. You asked me to emcee the event. It was a highlight for me. I really enjoyed it. The first question that I have is what led you to the journey of being an author? And and not just an author, but a self-published author. Because a lot of people don't know that they can publish their books. They're waiting for a Penguin Putnam or they're waiting for a Random House to pick them up. If you could please explain your journey from there to, well, let's say about 2013 when you released the first book, The Assumption and the Hypothesis of Giants. Oh, well, how much time do we have? No, I'm joking. I'll speed through it, but... (laughs) for a couple of years. It's been an incredible journey, one that I never imagined. I had this dream that I would become a writer. I was inspired by my third grade teacher, Lisa Dauber. So clap to all the teachers out there. We had to write a book and we had to illustrate it. And I am not an illustrator at all. I have uh, my terrible stick figure drawings. I was like drawing, but writing this list book and it's called The Funny Story. It wasn't very funny, but like, you know, I, I enjoyed writing it. And then we had this opportunity to read it in front of our parents with like a 
whole altar. They had punch and cookies and things. And as I'm reading it, I just had this feeling that this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to become a writer. I didn't quite know at that point what that meant. I think that a lot of people just imagine that if you want to be a writer, you have to be a novelist or you have to write that best-selling novel that you're going to be able to have on bookshelves like Barnes & Noble, etc., or in Target. At that time, I didn't really know what that meant for me, but it was a lot of zigzagging, a lot of people telling me, don't become a writer, you're not going to make any money from it, you're, you know, it's a very tough field, go the safer route, you know, do something in communications, at least that's a little, maybe get a job out of college. So I'm hearing all these things, and even though I you know, always loved writing, I was young, I didn't know other writers, and it wasn't like today where you're able to follow people on Instagram or on social media to hear about some of their struggles even when they were younger. We didn't really have that opportunity. I, I still remember I we had write to an author like that was one of the projects we had to do in school and I wrote to Carolyn Keene who I used to love the Nancy Drew series not realizing Carolyn Keene didn't exist there was no Carolyn Keene so I'm writing a, a letter to the somebody. hell you say not writing me back there was a series of writers like ghost writers who were writing under that name I didn't know any of this I was like waiting for this writer to write me back and she didn't exist but I did have a meeting with Anna Martin who wrote the babysitter club books I remember my friend April and I were waiting on a long line at the uh, Barnes and Noble in Garden City I was just so excited to finally meet a real author because I had never met one before so that always stuck with me but um, throughout those years of high school and hearing from teachers and people you know don't you know you're very good but yeah I wouldn't pursue this you know and let me guess don't quit your day job they told you don't quit your day job maybe they had tried and they had failed and they had never picked themselves up again so they were they were speaking from maybe experience that they didn't want me to go through that kind of struggle but through struggle is where you really find yourself and I had to find that out the hard way so fast forward to college where I met Louie, you. Uh, My deepest condolences. (laughs) I created writing courses, but I did major in communications and business thinking, okay, well, if I can't be a writer, uh, at least I can do something that involves writing. So that was kind of like, okay, well, let me still try to find something that could be a little bit more creative and work in media, which is where I think where a lot of us fall, where we're like, okay, I guess we work in media. There's still something creative. We might be able to do some writing. After college, I got a job in an advertising agency, but not on the creative side. It was on the media planning side. So dealing with um, budgets and client issues and things of that sort. The only writing I was doing really was emails. And I still remember one day somebody came to me and said, wow, your emails are really good. Are you a writer? I was like, yes, actually, I am a writer. Thank you for noticing, good sir. I know, how funny is that? But uh, throughout this time, even as I was working the day job, I was working with my sister. And it's so funny how, you know, talk about writing, that there's so many different ways to be a writer. And I didn't really see that I was living my dream at that point because, you know, I wasn't writing the, the full-length novel, but I was a lyricist for my sister, Erin Michelle, Louis' beautiful wife. And Shameless plug. We put out a CD called Beneath the Curtain. Erin and I, had, as growing up, we always wrote songs together, fabulous musician and a songwriter, and I I always loved poetry and, and writing words so I was like well let's let's put this together and we became like almost like a songwriting team and we put together a CD together and Louie I know you you played guitar on it and we had a few other friends who helped where we were actually putting bringing these songs to life like songs that we were just like you know playing around with uh, with Erin on the piano and me we, singing with her we had a great team we had myself on guitar and bass we had Jason Crawford on drums and we had the great George Fullen who engineered and produced 
Adam Parnes mixed and mastered it. I just interviewed George for the podcast about a week ago and he sends his love to everybody. Oh, no, it, it was such an amazing journey. Even though we never really continued pursuing that, but just being able to have a full-length album, to be able to perform it, that was incredible. That was an incredible feeling for me to be able to see what a writing journey can do. And I remember, I was still kind of figuring things out. Like, being a writer was always still on the back burner. It was still like, okay, I'm a media executive at this job and writing was just on the side. Besides being a lyricist, I also loved playwriting or had some plays performed in New York City at the Strawberry One Act Festival. So things were still happening where I wasn't giving up on my dream, even though everybody else told me to, it was still innate. As an artist, we have to express ourselves. We need to find ways to do it. And it may not be the way we initially thought, but there are avenues open up in ways that we don't expect. And in this case, it was for me, playwriting. I had some plays performed at St. John's. And then that's when I did the Story One Act Festivals. And then I said, well, let me see if I can pursue this route. One of the professors that were like, oh, maybe look into the Stony Brook, um, Southampton playwriting conference that they have every summer. So I said, okay, you know, I had now at this point gotten married to my husband, Mike. And it was that summer I told him about it. It's like, Melissa, you, you love writing. Just do it. Just see what happens. I was like, oh, it's a little expensive. I don't know if I should do it. He was like, just go. Just see what where this takes you. So I went and I had this professor named Adam Bach. And he is a very established playwright, has had plays performed on Broadway. He was just incredible. And I remember at one point he went down the list of people and he was like, say, you are a writer. Everybody else saying, I'm a writer, I'm a writer. And he gets to me. And of course, I'm like dude, giving this wishy-washy answer like, yeah, you know, I write on the side, but you know, it's not really who I am. I'm a, a media executive. I work in advertising. Wrong right? answer to get to someone whose life is writing. He like looked me dead in the eyes, Louie. And he was like, have you written anything? I said, well, yeah. Have you had plays performed? Yeah. You are a writer. That was the spark. That was ever from all the people in my life who said, you can't be a writer, you can't, that's not who you are. You have to get the safe uh, day job and all this backup plan. It was at that moment I realized, yes, I am a writer. That's who I am. That's a part of my identity. That's what I love to do. Why am I fighting this? Why am I hiding from this? Is it out of fear? Is it not knowing like what to expect in the unknown? But if you're not pursuing what you love to do, you're constantly going to be unhappy. And that's what I realized after that playwriting conference. I had this crazy dream that I was flying along with a giant. Don't know what I ate or drank the night before. <laughs> was it ghost pepper hot sauce? Because I heard hot sauce gives nightmares. <laughs> no, no, thank God, not that. But I okay. had this crazy dream, flying along with a giant. Wake up the next morning. I'm like, this is still stuck with me. Usually sometimes you forget your dreams, but that one stayed with me. And then later that day, my husband, Mike, was saying something about the Aurora Borealis. And it was like, I wonder where they even got that name from. I did some research and I found out that Aurora was based on the goddess of dawn from Greek mythology and Boreas was the god of the north wind. I'm like, how cool would it be if there were two teenagers who inherit these powers and have to help some giant get to the northern lights? Hence the hypothesis of giants. Check out the big brain on bread. That's exactly how it happened. So everyone thinks like it's just like an idea from the overnight success. It never works that way. It's a journey. And all those pitfalls, all those other obstacles, going to these conferences, going through writing classes, all of those things helped me finally get to this point where I was 
was able to then sit down and take this idea and see where it would take me. I had no idea I was going to be a four book young adult series. I had no idea. I couldn't even finish one book at that point. I always just would um, give up halfway through and work on another project. But as I'm writing, I just couldn't stop. I fell in love with the characters. I started plotting my book, which I never did before. There's this thing called plotter or pantser where I was always the pantser when I was um, struck by inspiration. I would just write, 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 write. Then I get stuck. I'm like, oh, shoot, I don't know where the characters are going to go from here or what's going to happen. And that's when I would just kind of abandon the project because I would just give up and start something new. Whereas a plotter, some plotters plot the entire book in full detail. Others just like do like a rough roadmap. And it helps them when they get stuck that they could go resort back to their roadmap and it helps them get back on track. So I became a combination of both. That's what I tell my students in my workshops is that you want to be both. Sure, you want to have some sort of roadmap. You want to know where you think the story is going to go, how um, the different events that are going to happen. So even if it's a rough roadmap, like then they go to Plymouth Tartarus where he meets X, Y, and Z. And then you have like everything kind of plotted out roughly. But then if you go off on a tangent, like you have these bursts of inspiration, go with it and always do like a save as. Like sometimes I'll do as I'm writing, like save as trying something new or going off on a tangent or, you know, but I'll always save what I had previously because then like sometimes these tangents really are beautiful. And those are sometimes the best writing comes out when you're just like in that zone. I'm sure you know what that means, Louis, with oh, the music. Absolutely. You're in that zone. You got to go with it and you got to mm -hmm. see because it's it's not just you writing at that point. It's some sort of like a muse or a spiritual oh, yeah. um, ex experience that I can't even explain. Most artists can't explain it. Mm -hmm. And um, it's something, the sixth sense that kind of takes over and you just go with it and, and let it come out. I can relate that to what I do because sometimes I'll find myself with my guitar hooked up into GarageBand on my MacBook. I'll try writing something for an hour and then like I'll just start going off and seeing what works and then all of a sudden I'll come across something and then I'll grow with it and in that hour and a half of playing I'll have five minutes worth of something that I think is good and I'll be like okay I set out what I had to do so yeah you can totally relate it to composition music or literature I mean it's totally relatable absolutely yeah it's a wonderful feeling you do you can't rely on that just to come out of nowhere you have to also put in the work and you have to do the reps to whatever that innate ability within you talent to come out while you're writing so that was what I told myself that I need to be a combination of both and that's what I ended up doing and so after I completed the first book I realized this is more than just one book this is a, a whole series and I, I, I that's when I started plotting out future books uh, of where the characters were going to go. I didn't know what to do. Okay, at this point, I had this great story, this great book, but I thought the same as you, Lou, when we said in the beginning is that you have to go the traditional route. You need to get an agent. You need to get a publisher um, to publish your work and how um, daunting and scary that is for a new author. I, I didn't, nobody knew at that point that I even wanted to be an author. Here I am still working at my you know, executive job in New York City and doing this on the side late at night or on the train. And nobody knew at that point that I wanted to be a writer. Like that, they knew like I, I wrote that they did, that I had plays perform, but they didn't really know that that was something I really wanted to pursue. So that's when I said, well, let me do some research. And I joined this Long Island group called the Long Island Children Writers and Illustrators Group, which is a great networking group to be able to talk to other authors. My dad's cousin worked in Simon & Schuster. So I reached out to her for some guidance because- That's Magda I, Crawford, right? Yeah, I had interned at Simon & Schuster 
we had built this relationship. I didn't really know her that well growing up, but then I told her I had this book idea and I wrote the first book. Would you like to read it? And she did. And she was like, Melissa, yeah, this is really good. This is, there's something here. And then she was saying a lot of new authors, even if they get published the traditional route, a lot of the heavy lifting still falls on new authors because just the publishing houses don't have the budgets that they used to, to be able to support all these authors and projects. So she said sometimes what new authors will do is they'll, they'll build a name for themselves, maybe do a self-publishing route first, and then they will look into the traditional route later once they have some sort of following and some sort of way that they can show how they can market and promote themselves. You pulled a great marketing strategy when the sequel to The Hunger Games came out around November 2013. Book one was out for the Hypothesis of Giants. You had this opportunity fall upon you where for one week, you could show a 30-second ad for book one. I love the shameless plug for your book, Great Coffee Cup. When am I getting mine? (laughs) (laughs) I got me this. I'm like, I love it. Either you approached the UA Westbury on Brush Hollow Road in Westbury, New York. You had this opportunity to have a 30-second advertisement for your book appear for one week before The Hunger Games aired. When this opportunity came upon you, you picked a selection of one of Aaron's songs, myself, Doc Reinhardt, Aaron and Gary Factora of the band, formerly of the band Snakes and Arrows, currently a Panic, worked in an entire day to make sure that we created an updated version of the song that would have been perfect for the advertisement. And for one week, this ad showed, and we actually bought tickets to the Hunger Games saying, oh my God, are they actually going to show it? And they did. And I swear, I heard people in the back go, oh my God, who is this author? They were blown away by the 30-second ad. I'm hoping it led into sales for you because that was so awesome seeing your stuff marketed in a movie theater. You know, it that was, was crazy. It was, that was just an incredible feeling. I think it was at that moment when people were coming up for my autograph and things like little things like that, that, that kind of like, wow, that was so amazing. That's so incredible. Because as you're on this journey where there are times that you you deal with self-doubt as an artist especially we have these moments like what are we doing like oh um you know nobody wants to hear hear our songs or uh, read our books like you know who are we for people to to do this why not us why not us and I have to keep facing this um the self-doubt voice that voice in the back of my head saying no it just when that fear comes up I call it the jerk the jerk comes up I say, nope, I'm not listening to you. I'm going to do it anyway. Brendan Burchard, who's a life coach, he says, like, just show up. You just go and just show up. If you're scared, that, that's a good sign. And you just keep going. Keep, when you feel that sense of like holding back, just push forward. Because that means like your bot, your brain is conditioned to try to stop you from prehistoric, you know, survival times from doing something new or something that's going to really help you. Like sometimes fear holds you back because it just doesn't understand that this is actually a good thing. This is actually going to help me help uh, spread my word and be able to help inspire others. So that's why I tell people, if if you feel that sense of self-doubt, just be like, nope, pick it off. Keep do it anyway, because that means that you're on the right path. Yeah, and that's that was, a- but that was that movie deal didn't just happen either. For indie authors, musicians, you need to wear many hats. Oh, and they yes. warn you about this because, you know, if you go to the traditional route, you have a marketing department, you have a PR team, you have editorial department. But when you do it yourself, you are on your own. It's up to you to now find and network with other people. And thankfully, I have my wonderful friends from St. John's in media and being able to work with Louie and my sister Erin to write a song. I, they, they're amazing musicians. Hey, would you guys like right. to write a song for my trailer? Ernie, 
Hayek, who is an incredible editor. Hey, can you do a trailer for me? He did my wedding video. I knew he was good. Hey, would you be interested in this? This was a whole area he didn't even know existed. Big shout out to Ernie Layug. And so this is something that I think for a lot of authors, musicians, artists, we, we need to make use of the people we know. And if we don't know them yet, then this is our opportunity to be able to get to know them and to put ourselves out there and get and support their work, build a relationship, and then say, hey, how can we help each other? Do you, Maybe they need uh, an author to help write something for, for them to promote their, their song or vice versa. That we need a song to help promote our books. So there's so many different ways that we can cross promote and support each other as artists. And that's what I ended up doing and working in media at an advertising agency, even though I was on the client side, I had to build media plans for my accounts. And this was one opportunity doing an ad at a movie theater that they had brought to us. Sometimes the vendors would come and talk to give us their little pitch about what they have to offer for our clients. And I always remember, and I kept it in the back of my head, I would love to do something like this for my book when I do publish it. At that point, I think I was still in the process of writing the book too. And I always remember that if I could do it and, and time it with the Hunger Games, like that would be so I did because my book series is dystopian fantasy. So it is, I call it like Harry Potter meets the Hunger Games where it has, you know, the fantasy element, but it also has a dystopian theme where these teenagers are in the United States of the common good where certain freedoms like freedom of religion and freedom of speech have been taken away from them. And so they're up against this government to try to, um, that's trying to stop them from reaching the Northern Lights. When you can find something like that to help promote your book, your song, just make sure you have a good team with you that you can definitely work with. And if you don't have that yet, that's okay. There's so many people that you that groups that you can reach out to for indie authors indie musicians like this show that louis doing to bring different artists together because you might be like oh my god i always wanted to know more about this if i could write a song for a book trailer this like indie authors are taking off and they need resources like this so this could be an avenue for you too for uh, getting your music out there yeah, well, it's not just for me promoting myself. It's the idea that I want to help promote the person outside of the status quo, I guess you could say, of entertainment. I've always felt, and I, and I felt this way since I was a kid, I started paying attention to what avenues such as MTV or radio, you see the same 40 videos or you hear, this is when MTV was playing videos, or you hear the same 40 songs on the radio every hour. The problem is people don't know about things that are out there that kind of go against their narrative. I'm proud to say that I'm here to be a disruptor to that. I'm proud to say that I'm out there speaking for the little guy. The first episode of my podcast was, don't worry about the money. It will come. Just get your art out there. I'm proud to say that I learned that from you. You just put it out there. And here I was chasing this dream myself of, you know, finding my voice as a musician. Here I was succumbing to this fear in my head, or as you call it, the jerk. I call it Greek guilt. So it was my mom's voice all the time yelling in my head. Love you, mom. <laughs> you know, the truth is they say stress is the most silent killer. I say fear is the biggest killer. Why live your whole life hating yourself that you never took that one chance? And I'm here to promote those people who are taking that chance. I think it's important. It needs to be out there. Like I said, I'm here to disrupt the status quo and I'm proud of it. I'm so glad you said that, Louie, too, because I just finished the Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. 
phenomenal book. If you haven't picked it up, definitely pick it up no matter what area you are in your life because it talks about those type of fears um, that hold people back, especially artists. One of the biggest killer of dreams is procrastination. I can't tell you how many people have come up to me uh, since I published my book. Melissa, I always wanted to write a book. I have this great idea. And I said, great, what have you started? Um, What have you written so far? I would love to read it. Oh, I haven't started writing yet. And I said, wait, what? (laughs) Well, come to me when you have something. (laughs) No, but this is more common where people have these dreams and they just are afraid to take that first step or they or one day I'll do it one day when I retire one day when I have time one day when I have the money I'll finally be able to write my book the time is now you have to take that first step now even if it is a baby step even if it is finally signing up for that writing workshop or that class or to mm-hmm. to learn about the craft more because we're always learning we're always growing I'm still taking those classes and learning more I would say the best book is yet to be written because yeah there's still a lot of more life journey that I need to experience to be able to continue to continue to tell my story but procrastination really does stop you because like how many times even for me like I didn't think that I was ever going to finish this series I got to a point um, where I was on book three I was like feeling so discouraged I was unhappy with my day job I just had my baby at that point. So I was struggling, trying to find balance, trying to find time. It just wasn't working. And it was affecting me uh, physically with my health. And I just didn't realize yet what extent that was. But I was like, I'm just going to give up. Like nobody cares. You know, nobody's reaching out about the book. You know, if the sales aren't what I thought it was going to be at that point. I had lost sight of why I was writing, why I was doing this. We had lunch with our friends, George and Angela. And she reached out to me. She's like, Melissa, I love your books. When is the book three coming out? And she had just had a baby too. So I was like talking. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't have time. This is so hard. She's like, but when it's done, I, I can't wait to read it. And that was just that push. Sometimes you just need that little push. And it comes from people or things that you would never expect that was the push I needed to go home that day and find time after the baby was put to bed and right at that point I remembered why I loved the book why I loved the series and why I needed to finish it because I was just going to keep putting it off putting it off putting it off and thinking it was more and more my fear and disappointment at that point of like I reached this dream I finished the first two books but it wasn't what I thought it was Mm going to be sometimes we reach our dream and we think that's it We had this glamorous idea, like when I finally get that song on the radio, when I finally get that book out there, like everything is going to change. And it doesn't always work that way. Or maybe you reach this point that's leading you to another dream or another avenue that you never experienced. And that's what happened to me, where even after the series, I didn't know that it was now opening up all these new doors for me. I quit the job in the city because I knew that it was toxic and it wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to focus on being creative and working on my writing, not knowing yet what that meant, <laughs> but what, what I was doing, but I just knew that I had to make a change. And now it led me to working with my husband, Mike, on his business. We published a book about trading beliefs in November. So it was something that I was able to utilize my writing to now be able to help him share his trading methodology to help other traders globally. How incredible is that? I never, three, four years ago, would never have thought by taking this step, I was now going to be able to help people identify beliefs that are holding them back, being able to let go and find beliefs that are going to help them serve them better, not just for trading, but for relationships, friendships, life. It's wonderful. And so that's why I tell artists that there's so many different ways to write. It's not just the book, you know, as, as incredible as that was, and it still is one of the best things that ever happened was to be able to live my childhood dream. 
but realizing that you can use your writing for a higher purpose and your art form for a higher purpose, which is amazing. That's wonderful. There's the Hypothesis of Giants, <laughs> book one, The Assumption. I was so proud of you the day that they came out. Thank and you, Louis. And uh, your support and you know, Aaron's support and the family, you know, that really helped, helped me get through some of those dark times where you just think that this is never going to happen and <laughs> like, I'm I, never going to finish this. I can relate to what you were saying about having a child and being in this toxic environment where it was prohibiting you from writing, you still managed to work your way through it. I can relate 100% because after my daughter was born, I too myself had a, a job in the city that I found toxic. I wanted to be close to home. I wanted to do something more along the lines of what I wanted to do. Unfortunately, there came a point where I was unemployed and I was on unemployment and driving Uber to make a little extra cash for my family to pay our bills and whatever. At the time that I was actually on unemployment was around the time that your husband, Mike, said, now's the time for you to start that podcast. It was because of the time that I had unemployed and as a father, that I started the podcast, got a job shortly after, a full-time job, but I kept the podcast going because it was something that I enjoyed. So the way I judge myself right now is, yes, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a podcaster, and I'm a musician, and I have a job to help pay the bills. You, as the artist or the creator, need to make the time because there's not enough hours in a day. That's the one issue that I take with life is that there's not enough hours in the day for you to do everything that you want to do, but you do need to make the time. The trajectory that I went on after the unfortunate circumstance of losing my job. I call it fortunate. In the end, yes, it was very <laughs> fortunate. It was a blessing in disguise. Yep. You know, a job is a job. What you do is truly who you are, whether it's writing or whether it's in the terms of Mike with his website, MaraWealth.com, what he does, what my wife does as a songwriter. This is who we are. I think if more people had that mentality, they would probably find a lot more joy in their life. And no, we're not saying that as these idealistic baboons who've never worked a day job. No, we've worked day jobs. And we still work. We still put food on the table, money in the bank. We take care of ourselves and our family, but we never stop doing what we love. And I think that's where the creator or the artist needs to remember to not stop what they're doing. Just make the time for it. I think that that's what people think that once they, they make it that, oh, they don't have to work hard anymore. Oh, no, you got to work harder. Most, I would say most entrepreneurs work double. I think I'm working twice as much as I worked when I worked in the city. I mean, does Gary, does Gary V even know who his kids are? I don't know. <laughs> but, but for me, like, it, it's more joy because it's enjoying what I'm doing. I'm writing. I'm being creative. I'm creating content that I believe in. And having that time where I'm working from home, I, I have time for my daughter. I can I can arrange my schedule how the way I need it. So when Lily comes home from school, I'm there to help her with her homework. I'm able to be able to be the parent I always wanted to be. When besides before when I was working in the corporate world, and if I had to stay till ten o'clock at night, I had to stay till ten o'clock at night. Like it was like mm. there was no choice. Yeah. Whereas now, now I have choice. I have freedom to come up with the way that I want to um, create my schedule. And I think that's amazing. If I want to take time off to go away with my family. I can just take time off. I don't have to apply and be like, oh, can I take off this week? Oh, it conflicts with somebody else. Okay, I guess I can't go. 
how many people go fall into that where they can't they, they're entitled to time off but they're not able to take the time off when they need it because of that i would say about 95 percent of people i know and it's and no i was in it for so long and that was what i was used to believe me i'm still getting used to being an entrepreneur and sure there's a lot of unknowns you may not have that same stability but when you believe in yourself when you have this passion when i was quitting my job i remember i had this fear i had taken um a four-week um, medical leave because i was dealing with some health issues at the time it led to depression honestly and I'm sure a lot of people have faced this too, where I, I needed to get help and I didn't get that help. It took me a long time to realize I needed help, not knowing that I was going through postpartum depression and I developed another um, autoimmune issue after having my baby. I was so like, this was the, the, all I knew. I, I knew that I worked my way up this ladder. I, I couldn't quit my job. I needed the benefits. I needed all these things. What, you know, I, I worked so hard. I worked 10 plus years to get where I am. How can I just leave? How can I just like give up on that and try something new? I reached this point in this mountain but what I really needed for my life what I really wanted for my life was over here and in order to get here I needed to take that leap of faith and realize that you know what if I do another 30 years on this path I'm not going to be happy that I have to take the time now to realize what is important to me and really do that soul searching and this is why I you know everybody I think during the pandemic this is something that we all kind of had to take that step back and get more into our heads which before we didn't really have, we were always so busy that we never took the time to really think about what did we want with our life? What do we want for our family life? And what corporate America says, oh yeah, two weeks off and maybe you have like one hour with your daughter right before she goes to bed. Like that, that's just normal. That was what I thought was normal, that this is what I had to do as a working mom, not knowing that there was this whole other path that I can still be a great mom, a hard worker, being able to create the life that I wanted for my family. And um, yeah, there was a lot of risk, a lot of, of uh, conversation I had to have with my husband to make sure that we were able to financially make a leap like that. I'm so glad I did it. Like you said, with the job, like, you know, at the time it feels scary. How am I going to get out of this? I, I just lost my job. Like, how, oh my God, I don't have the stability. But then all these other doors open up for you. Doors that you never would have seen before because you were so blindsided on this this trajectory that you didn't see it that was leading you to this toxic life yeah. that you didn't see it now all of a sudden it's like oh my god I didn't know I had all these other doors open now I see them and it could really lead you to what you're really meant to do I love your zest for life <laughs> I love the fact that what takes a lifetime for some people to realize we learned it by the time we were in our 30s I think that's a very rare occasion where people just get it and they do something about it. And that's really what it's all about. It's just do something. You need that struggle to realize it though. And I think- Oh, that absolutely. We, and through struggle like comes have, character. Yeah. As long as we learn from that struggle, like if we keep making the same mistakes over and over again and not learning from it, and that's not going to help. But if you, for me, like reaching that rock bottom where I was crying, couldn't pick my daughter up from daycare because I was just so depressed and, you know, get to that low point where you realize you need help and to be able to learn from that and to be able to continue to grow from that. So that's why I tell people that this series wouldn't have happened if I didn't have that struggle, because a lot of Aurora is me, especially in the last two books. For her, she has to face, is she the goddess of dawn? Does she has to believe in herself? She has to face some of that darkness to find the light, what she has to figure out for herself. Now, one question I want to ask, is Otis based on your six foot seven father? <laughs> <laughs> Based, but it's so funny that you say that because like growing up my father was always this big gentle giant like he was always the tallest in the room still and, is he's uh, wonderful with our daughters 
for me, having a giant in my book was always going to be a gentle character. Like I even knew from that dream that it was not going to be what giants have usually been depicted as, which is like me, some Cyclops, you know, <laughs> yeah. type of giant. No, no, that was not going to be my giant at all. It was going to be the gentle giant, the wise giant, the one that needs help. He needs the teenagers to be able to help stop the geometric storm, this catastrophic event that's going to happen. But the teenagers need him just as much. So I love like that when they are separated from each other, that they really realize that they all need each other in different ways to continue to grow along their journey. So I love that friendship that was developed between them. You mentioned that you read up on what the Aurora Borealis was, and that's the Northern Lights. But there are a lot of elements about your book that, I mean, I'm a sci-fi geek. I watch sci-fi movies. I own horror films. I'm a Doctor Who fanatic. Well, old school Doctor Who, as you know. I'm really into the whole genre of like dystopian themed sci-fi or fantasy. My question is, how much research did you do as the author to come up with these honest portrayals of a society gone wrong by, not to give away anything, an ideal that ended up tearing the community apart. What inspired you? Was there any inspiration from like, let's say like a George Orwell or an Ayn Rand or anything like that? What led up to building those themes for the story? Um, I always loved reading as a child, all different genres, but especially I did love like the C.S. Lewis series with the Chronicles of Narnia. I love the Harry Potter series. I love Fahrenheit 451. So I was always drawn to that genre. I think, especially as a teen, it's so great because it has those type of deeper themes, but it is intertwined so nicely with a beautiful story. So it's not just like these themes are thrown at you or more adult kind of content that's done so in a fun magical way as in Harry Potter like there, there are those deeper rooted themes especially in those later books that J.K. Rowling is able to interweave within the the story about Harry and his friends trying to fight Voldemort you know prejudice about the, the muggles versus the, the pure bloods the mud so there's bloods, a lot yeah. of that too that's that she's able to put in a way that's not like in your face as a child or a teen reading this but it is something that helps make you think about the society you live in today that's what I love about dystopian literature that it makes you think for me though um I did research but I think I was inspired by one of my fears which was after 9-11 we were deeply impacted by that moment Louis we both were at St. John's University in Jamaica Queens at that time to this day that's still like the scariest day of my life because I remember I saw it through the window in the tv center the second plane crashing into the building and I remember taking a camera up to the roof thinking that you know if anything else happened at least I could bring it to like the proper authorities. Well, I saw the worst thing ever through the viewfinder. It was the buildings collapsing down. And uh, my hand goes from a steady, you know, hand. People in the TV center said, oh, give the steady cam to Lou. He's got a good, he's got a good hand. For the first time ever, my hand shook and I almost dropped the camera. And that is unfortunately something that it's scarred on me for life. I'll never forget it. I never wanted to pick up another camera again, but you learn to say, forget the fear. You're good at it. Keep doing it. But yeah, that was a scary time. It was. It's so traumatic. And so horrific. It's something that, you know, that's, you can't believe is actually happening or that did happen. um, And affected so many lives. 
and it definitely scarred all of us who were there in some way or, or who had watched it or had seen it and, or experienced it. But for me afterwards, what I always remembered though was how New Yorkers came together. I always will remember that, like, you know, despite that darkness, how people came together to give blood, to help people of across all nationalities, races, you name it. We were all coming together as a, as a people to, you know, in our time of grief to help each other. But then shortly after that, that was when all the propaganda of hate against Muslims started happening. And some of our friends were Muslims and were being attacked, you know, or are oh, yeah. verbally attacked. And it was really a even, tough and scary time. Even my Indian friends who were non-Muslim were getting attacked. And I was just like, what the hell? People are people. Not everyone of that faith or that culture is of that toxic ideology. It's and that's ridic- exactly what I started thinking. Because I have a Catholic faith, but I've always been a very faithful person in appreciation of all religions and all faiths. And that, you know, we need to respect and love each other. Uh, at the end of the day, we're all human. We all trying to figure out why we're here. And like, after all that started happening, I started fearing like, what if religion was going to be abolished or one ideal or one person was going to come out and try to say that we need to abolish that religion or all religions because that is what caused this kind of hate. This is what caused this atrocity to happen. So I have in my book that the Towers of Freedom had fallen. Like that's actually something that happened in my series. And that's when Inspector Harold is the person who rose up because he lost somebody he loved in that event. And now almost like Hitler or, or one of these other totalitarian leaders using that kind of hate and rhetoric to expand and to build a following, that's what ended up inspiring me to, to create this type of world. And I tell my, my students, um, I, I teach teens about writing. And for dystopian, I think one of the things they say is if it's something that you fear, that something that we can even say about what happened right now with this pandemic, this could have been a fear of what would what would this world have been like living in this type of environment and how what characters are going to rise above that to be able to help. And that's when Aurora and Boris became the type of heroes that we needed in this type of world I was creating. You know, one of the awesome things about your story is as a musician, as I was reading along, I could hear the soundtrack for it as I was reading it. Like I could hear it in my head. And even like when I go back and like read, reread book one, the same soundtrack still appears in my head. Like you paint such a beautiful picture in these stories. I love that. The soundtrack of the book, like you have a soundtrack as you're reading. Yeah. That's beautiful. Wow. I'm a nutcase. What do you want? (laughs) I absolutely love that. I wonder if other people do that for, for, for my book or other books. I think that that's a beautiful, because maybe it's something we, we have the the ability to create, like, like you're in this world and you're in the, the, almost like a movie in your mind. I'm a big fan of progressive rock, especially the band Rush. And they have an album out that was released in in, in 1976. I almost said 1776. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) They've been around a long time. (laughs) Well, you know, it was an album called 2112, where it talks about a world where things like music and art were shunned by the leaders of the people there. They've not only abandoned all art, but they've completely made it illegal. Like it's, it's a crime against society to even do it. Being a fan of that album, and not that I'm necessarily tying it into the book, because obviously it's two completely different entities, but as a music fan, it reminded me of why I love that album so much, because they are true to life stories of what affects people the most. What if something that you love is taken from you? What if something that 
you've never realized has value in your life gets taken from you. Freedom is something that people should cherish and they should respect it and they should roll with it. Otherwise, it will be taken away from you. But at the same time, though, I've always had this cardinal rule that people should do what they want as long as you don't hurt anybody especially kids or defenseless animals. The idea of anyone taking a freedom from, from you, whether it's speech, whether it's religion, or whether it's the right to peaceful protest, anyone takes that away from you, we're screwed. We're all in this together. America! And you see that, you can read that in this book. It speaks about the negative aspects of the human condition, and it speaks to the positive parts of the human condition. I think you captured lightning in a bottle. And for the people out there that are saying, I'm only saying this because she's family, no, has nothing to do with that. Because one thing I've always tried to do is maintain my objectivity, all right? And regardless of how much Melissa has been a positive person in my life that I'm grateful to have, even if I didn't know her, I'd still love these damn books. That's just what I want to say about it. Thank you, Louie. Your check's in the mail. <laughs> One peso. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that really means so much to me. Thank you. And like, that's what this is all about. Great artists will find each other and to be able to help support each other. I've supported Louie even when I didn't even listen to Ozzy Osbourne or Heavy Metal when he was playing in these type of uh, cover bands. I was there front and center in the mosh pit, <laughs> not knowing how to mosh. Now, Melissa, you don't mosh like this. Out of okay. way to help each other. <laughs> I was like, what on earth is going on? I was like, what is happening? What brought Melissa and me together actually was our love of this guy. That's right, the Marx Brothers. Because me and Jay Crawford, to you. <laughs> that's exactly what it was. Me and Jay Crawford were walking away from Melissa. And I told Jay in regards to you, I said, man, wouldn't you like to join the club and beat her over the head with it? And then you responded, peanuts to you. And we looked and we're like, she got it. She got the punchline. <laughs> that's right. Marx Brothers, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Groucho Marx is my spirit animal. <laughs> <laughs> so you've wrapped up all four series. They're available on Amazon. And you've also mentioned your plays, which I was very proud to say I was your sound man twice for both plays that you did at the Strawberry One Act Play Festival. I think it was Tea Under the Lilac Tree. And the other one was, Miss hold Nashville. on, I, I was, <laughs> I wanted to make the sure. I, there. Mismatched socks there. Okay, forget the first one. <laughs> they were very well written. You wrote those two plays and you wrote The Hypothesis of Giants, but there's nothing about them that says it's from the same author. It's different. You did something that a lot of artists don't get to do. You were able to write a situation in th three different situations where there were no parallels. It was a sign of growth as a writer, meaning that you didn't repeat yourself. How do you think you went about doing that? This is something that if you are considering or if you are an indie artist, musician, writer, you name it, we have the freedom to grow, to try new things, to experiment. And that is such a blessing. People I know who are have gone the traditional route and have gotten a book published through an agent and a publisher. Once they write, let's say it's a romantic comedy, they are now on contract to come up with 
something similar, like a, another romantic comedy, and to kind of stay within that genre. So now even like actors who are typecasted play the same role over and over and over again because that's what they did. And the agent or whoever continues trying to find more roles like this. Like, oh, you saw him as the, the good-looking heartthrob in this one. We'll, we'll, we'll cast him as a good-looking heartthrob in this next one. So let's say he wants to do a, a war movie or he wants to flex his muscles and try something new. Just a regular comedy, a slapstick comedy. They don't have the opportunity to do that as much. Or the fans might be like, oh, that's not what we like you as. And then the, the movie flops. So there are certain actors who are able to rise above that. I think Jim Carrey is one of them. And a few others, of course, have been able to break out of that mold. It is something for an author, especially an indie author, to have the ability to write plays, uh, comedies, to for me to write young adult fiction, and then now be able to write a self-development you know, development book. And who knows what else is next on the docket. To have that freedom to do that is, is amazing because I'm growing as an author. If I just kept writing young adult fantasy, and believe me, I love that genre, I'm not going to grow or it may not fill me up like it did. Like at that time when I needed to escape from my, from my reality, working a job that I was not happy with, trying to figure out my life, fantasy was my way of escape. It was a way of being able to live these lives, these characters who have these powers where they could um, help save the world or help, you know, get out of their darkness. It, it was a powerful thing for me writing it at the time. I think that's why uh, the series grew to be the way it was, was because I was on my own personal journey. Sure, I'm not saying I'm not ever going to go back to it because I still love reading it. I still love um, writing that genre. But for me now, it's a different reason to use my writing is to now help other people through self-development, through becoming an entrepreneur, through their trading, through belief systems. So now it's a completely new way to use my writing. And then who knows, maybe I, I know a writer who just wrote sci-fi, talking about sci-fi. She, she was writing crime fiction and that was what she was doing. She kept writing crime fiction, she loved that genre, but she always had this idea for a sci-fi thriller. She had gone to Iceland. Dina Sansarelli, who's a, a, an amazing author, if you get a chance to check her out. And she has a new book coming out that's sci-fi. And she was so excited because she was like, I never thought I was going to be able to write this genre. And then she ended up loving it because she had the setting that she knew that she wanted to do it based on her experience in Iceland. And um, what if this, uh, this thing happens? So I, I think this is your time. Experiment, try new things. If you fail and people don't read it, that's okay. There's another book. There's another song that you're going to be putting out there. And if you're doing it for you, that's the most important thing. Is figure out what is your reason for doing your art right. form. Why the writer writes. Just sell millions of copies so you just want to do what everybody else is doing. And if that's what your reason, that's fine. Absolutely. Whatever your reason is, as long as you know that's why you are doing it. But if it is to continue to create and to put new things out there, maybe things that people haven't heard, not the same 40 songs over and over and over again on Z100, you want to do something different and create your own tune or your own, <laughs> your own genre, create your own yeah. genre. Why not? Well, it kind of falls under the statement, a writer writes. That's just what you do. If you write, keep writing. You know, if you play, keep playing. And, and knowing the rules are important. That's I tell the, the teens that also, even for music, you need to know the notes. You need to know how to play a regular 
song before you can now break the rules or break them in some way to create your own sound or to create oh, your own. Of course, you own. know, you need the fundamentals yeah. before you can even think about going your own route because how else are you going to build your foundation? You have the foundation of learning like the theory and learning the basics. But then to get where you want to be as a writer, you need to take all those influences and all those rules and put them in a blender. And then out comes, well, you, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> that. that's the best way I could put it. I so, love that analogy, the blender. I absolutely love that. Yeah. If I can mention my five favorite guitar players, all different. Tony Iommi of Black Sabbath, Randy Rhodes, Eddie Van Halen, Richie Blackmore, Michael Schenker. They don't sound the same. But I'm just as influenced by them as I am, like, let's say, an Alan Holdsworth, who's a jazz guitar player. I never wanted to sound like them, but I'd be a fool if I say that those six didn't influence me in any way to play the way that I do. I'm me, and I don't try to sound like anybody else. And that's the thing. That's what I love about you as an author. You're you, and you don't write like anybody else. That's the best thing I could say about you as an author. You're you. Keep it up. So... What made you decide to go the route of Amazon to self-publish? I did some research um, after I had spoken with Maggie that, okay, this is, I'm going to try the self-publishing route first um, to see, just get my name out there and at least let my friends and family, everybody know that, yes, I'm a writer. This is what I want to do. So I did some research and at the time, CreateSpace was available because I knew I wanted not just an ebook but also a hard copy of the book. So there was a thing called CreateSpace, which was affiliated with Amazon. Now everything is just KDP, uh, Kindle Direct Publishing. But I worked with them and uh, they had um, old authors were saying this is great because it's a print on demand. So it's not a case where you have 2,000 books that you had to purchase up front from a publisher. And now it's up to you to have to sell all 2,000. And you're not even sure how you're going to be able or if you'll be able to sell those with this method with this business structure i publish my book through them you want a copy of my book you'll order it through amazon and it'll be sent to you so it's on demand so it's it's published it's out there for people to be able to have it printed um, based on who wants it and i love that and Simple i didn't want to be stuck with a million books that i don't, didn't know at the time if i was gonna, if anybody's gonna like this book if it's gonna sell and, some, and there's a lot of fake gurus, there's fake publishers out there that take advantage of vulnerable authors and artists. I'm sure in the music industry, you guys have this too. They're called record labels. We know all about that. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> no, I... but new authors and, and, and musicians need to be careful. Talk to other authors, you know, reach out to me or Louie if you guys have any questions. Yeah. I'm sure there's lists of people that we can tell you um, to, to reach out to uh, for help in this area because mm -hmm. you don't want to get screwed over. You don't want to have to learn the hard way. Like so many of my friends, they had to learn the hard way. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, they got screwed over, but they got this agent and then they, they once again, bought the moon, the sun, the stars and, and the, like a publisher, this indie publisher. And then they never saw a center. They, they, nothing happened. They were supposed to market their book and they have the rights for their work. And now they have to try to fight to get the rights for their work back so they can do a KDP or to publish it in a different way. Always be very careful. If you're signing your rights away, something's wrong. Make sure you have a lawyer or somebody look at it because that's your work and you do not want to give that away freely. You spend so much no. time, efforts, blood, sweat, and tears on that. Some of the things that I mentioned to people as advice on the show, take a class on copyright law. 
and learn about the ins and outs of that and find out how you can make it work for you. Also, if you decide to go the route of self-publishing, learn about what it would take to create your own publishing company and then see if you can give it to an, an ASCAP or BMI or a CSAC. I've always said the biggest mistake that people do is when they sign their rights away to somebody just for an opportunity. You sign to a label, they'll give you an advance, but then not only do you have to sign over everything that's yours, but you also have to pay them back plus interest. Wow. If you had the opportunity to go the traditional route, you want a lot of self-published authors, they actually try that route first because once again, this is changing, but there um, was a stigma against self-published authors for some time when I first started, like, oh, we've self-published. Oh, it's not the same as being a traditional publisher. But it is, if you're able to still go that route and you know you want to get into a Barnes & Noble, a Target, you know, Walmart, you want to get into these bookstores, you want to have these formal author signings and things of that, that you don't want to plan yourself and you need, you want that kind of help. Oh, to go for that route, that's fine. That's you. And I absolutely say that do your research, just make sure that you find yeah. um, an agent that is respectable. Look at other books that you like to read that are in your genre. Like if, if I was like, I would read who was JK Rowling's agent, you know, like who was, who they usually put it in the, in the acknowledgement section. So look, who was their agent and be like, Hey, and then look up how to query, make sure you follow their guidelines and do it that way. And that's completely fine, but don't get discouraged. Cause you know, even JK Rowling had, I think it was 11 or 12 rejections. And then one person told her, don't quit your day job. Meanwhile, she was living in her car. Yeah, but she didn't get discouraged. She kept putting it out there. And it was like an assistant that read her book and brought it to the publisher. The main person said, you have to read this. She didn't give up. She kept going. So that's why I tell you, if you're going to go that route, expect to get rejections. That's why the Stephen King, he put it, he pasted his up. Like he was like proud of it because it showed that he was doing the work and he was, he kept putting himself out there. And he's like, okay, another rejection. No problem. I'm going to send out another uh, query. I'm going to keep going or work on the next book. Cause that's another thing too. You're constantly continuing to, to work and don't just put all your eggs in one basket with one book, continue to write. That's what you right. like to do. Continue to make more music. And, and that's what it's all about. And maybe this book, you went the, it's a self-publishing route. The next book could be a traditional route. Now that like you have a name for yourself and be like, hey, I actually have sold X, Y, and Z copies. This is how my marketing strategy. These are the number of followers for you. Like you have now a following for your podcast. So those are all things that they're going to now take notice and be like, hey, let me actually uh, check out your, your work and see what you have to offer. Do it yourself. But if you want to go that route, like Melissa said, do your research. Yes, absolutely. Because unfortunately, and it's so sad to say that people take advantage of our dreams and our hopes and they use it for their gain. And, it, and it's so horrible, but it has happened to my friend. So just be wary. Any fine print that says like you need to pay in advance, that's a big one. You need to put money up in advance, not for like getting an editor, like those type of services. Yes, you do need an editor. If you need to create a graphic cover, you need to pay for a cover artist. But if the publisher is saying, oh, you need to pay me $1,000 in advance, red flag, red flag. <laughs> like do not pay. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, that's very reminiscent. of money up front that, um, that doesn't make sense. It's very reminiscent of pay to play that bands used to do prior to the pandemic, where if you wanted to jump on the bill, you had to sell 40 tickets just to mm -hmm. get on. And that was never fun. And I don't recommend it. 
yeah. Last question. We're living in a pretty tumultuous time right now for artists. There's this whole Twitter mob mentality cancel culture that is hitting artists because they're deemed offensive for whatever reason, or there's something within their art form that is not agreed upon by this loud minority. And as a result, there's this hashtag cancel so-and-so type going on. I think art is meant to be consumed by anyone who have it. And as long as it falls within the confines of legal and non-harmful, then people should have the right to decide if they want to consume it or not. Not have others choose for you for it to be completely erased. As an artist, how do you respond to a lot of this mob mentality that is going against artists? I think art is powerful. And I think every voice should be heard. I think that the, the purpose of art is to be able to express ourselves. But what is the core reason why we do what we do is because we want to express ourselves and we express um, something that's bothering us, something that is hurting us or that is troubling us. And why I wrote the series was a, there was a fear that I needed to get out and be able to work it out through my art form. And that's what I ended up doing or going on my own personal health journey. And, you know, it got to a point where, you know, it was so such a beautiful, powerful lesson that I want to be able to share it to help others. So that was the reason behind why I do my art is I want to help others. But I think that there has been unfortunate history in the publishing history where they were denying certain voices to be heard or they weren't being as um, promoted as much as certain, you know, people. And so I think that there, there is a step in the right direction where more voices are now being heard. People are now seeing themselves in ways that they never were before. Like even as a woman, being able to see more female heroines and not just the damsel in distress or type of roles that I grew up with, where now that there's strong female characters that are now being portrayed, not just in my work, but in other people's work. I think that that's amazing for people of different nationalities and cultures to finally have their voices heard is incredible. Now, I think that there is another side, which is like you mentioned, the cancel culture, where somebody, someone disagrees with what you believe, you get offended, and now all of a sudden you want to make sure that that can't be for anybody else. This is your own view, and that's something that people have to remember, too, is like, you're not going to love everything. Even people have said, like, you know, nice book, but it wasn't for me, or they didn't like it. That's okay. I don't like every book I read, but I don't go about saying cancel this, or nobody else should read this. It's based on your interpretation of, of the work too. Like even as I put things out, my book, it's not out for the world to interpret the way they want. It has, it takes on a life of its own based on what the person, the person who's reading it is experiencing in their own life. Now it takes on a new life for them. So I think that we have to be careful about cancel. I know that there was that whole thing with um, even books like, um, Huckleberry Finn or To Kill a Mockingbird that they were trying to prevent young kids from from reading those books because it talked about some tough subjects about slavery and honestly I think that's the best way for people to be able to be, grow and have empathy and to be able to have an open mind to see what happened in the past to so learn from it just like we learn from our own struggles nobody's perfect I'm not perfect you're not perfect we're not perfect, but in order to continue to grow and evolve and to be better parents for our kids, to be better community members, is to be more open-minded, to have that sense of empathy so that we can relate and be able to help change the world and make it a better place for the next generation. Yes. I think that's the only way. If we just pretend like this never happened or we just ignore it, 
it's it's not gonna we'll write work. it out of the history books yeah and what i love about books and about movies and about music is that it's a great way to get people to communicate, to get people to talk about it, to be able to express themselves and talk about it with people. And even if you don't agree, it's a great way to be able to think and, and be able to um, have that form of connection. And I, I think that we shouldn't take that away that just because you may not like a song, I'm gonna like the song, just like when I went to your concert for the mosh pit. Sure, I did. <laughs> it's not my type of music at all. What it I wasn't mine either. My spare time. No, but I love supporting you. I loved how happy you were doing it. I love seeing the passion that you and your friends had up on stage playing this music that you could just see and it resonated that you, that's what it's all about. It's about being able to understand each other's differences and still be able to be there to support and love each other no matter what. I didn't say it better myself. And in regards to what you said about, you know, removing stuff out of the history books, I absolutely agree with you. As an old line, those who don't read up on their history are doomed to repeat it. I hope the better for this world, especially for us as parents with, you know, two little girls that we're raising, you know, we want the best for them. But I will say this, what I mostly love about the hypothesis of giants is the character development. And you write these characters out without pandering to any particular ideology. Instead, you just focus on the character. And I think that's so important. And I think that's a trait that's lost amongst writers, whether it's in books or comics. And it's a breath of fresh air. I can't thank you enough for writing great characters that I would be proud to show these books to my daughter, not just because you're her aunt, but because you're a great author and I think she could find something of value in a character like Aurora. Thank you for writing the blueprint for great characters for kids of today and the future to look up to and admire. You nailed it. Way to go. Thank you so much, Louie. I really appreciate that. If you want to learn more about Melissa Kutch, please go on Amazon, look up Hypothesis of Giants. All four books are available as softcover editions or on Kindle. And Melissa, where else can people find you? You can also find me on my website, www.melissacutch.com, and also on Instagram, Melissa Kutch Author, as well as on Facebook. Who designed the book covers then? Um, I went through um, Deranged Doctor, which is incredible service. If you if you are doing the fantasy genre, they they specialize in fantasy covers. And I love did. that name. I know Deranged Doctor. Like look how beautiful this is. Like right. Like they were able to take my vision and really bring it to life. Absolutely. So Teresa Gonzalez, great job editing, and Michael Lamott, my brother-in-law, Melissa's husband. Thank you for supporting her through this to Melissa's daughter, my goddaughter, Lily. Love you, kiddo. And I want to thank everybody for watching the Music is Live podcast or listening to it. Please like and subscribe and also check out the Rad Salad Review Network. I host the show every Wednesday with Wayne Noon, the high muckety muck of Rad Salad Review and Greg Noggle, the Grand Poobah. Just also hosted my recent episode of Screams for the Grave. And also want to give out a big shout out to the other shows on the Rat Side Review Network, including Beyond Bushido with James and EA, The Right Opinion with Harrison Bergeron, the South Park's podcast, Suck My... <clears throat> you get the point. You've seen South Park, you know what it's about. 
I have a hard time saying that <laughs> podcast title. And also Old Man Metal, you know, the countless podcasts that you can... Uh, oh, and of course, Ralph Vieira and Vieira Vault, who's now returned with the Rock and Metal Combat podcast with Wadzilla himself, Ian Wadley. So a lot more content to be on the Rat Side Review Network. And I'm proud now to have this interview with the great author, Melissa Kutch, available on video format on YouTube and on audio format on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and Pandora. (laughs) That still drives me nuts to this day, freaking Pandora. But anyways, Melissa, I can't thank you enough for doing the show with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Louie. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep, you know, promoting the arts and the music because I think you're right. People need this now more than ever. So love you. Thank you. Love you too. Thanks, everyone. Have a good night. Cheers. Bye. Looking for some new podcasts to listen to? Well, Rat Sound Review Network has plenty of shows to choose from. Like Rat Sound Review, where they discuss the latest rock and metal news, as well as interviews and albums. Album versus album. The King Diamond Podcast with Wayne Noon, Greg Noggle, and sometimes this guy. Smack him a gob! Ralph Vieira is also on our network with the Vieira Bowl. There's also Old Man Metal's Musings, where he discusses heavy metal and beer. Music is Life with Lou Mavs. The Right Opinion for those who love politics. A South Park podcast called Suck My Balls. The Infinite Fringe. A watch-along wrestling show called Beyond Bushido. Extradivarius guitarist, the Timo Tolki podcast. And the great Harry Barnett with I Don't Even Like podcast and the Laugh Cast. So check out RatSoundReview.com or search RatSoundReview on YouTube, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. 